Okay, thank you for that. I know time is pushing on, uh, but we do want to finish our Philippians series today. Uh, and uh, just to put that up on the screen, thanks, Gary, our Philippians series. And uh, just to say, we're not at the last passage in Philippians. We're actually, we kind of got out of sync early on. And so the last portion of Philippians that we're going to look at today is actually back in chapter 3, verse 17, through to chapter 4, the first verse. And it's been so good to go through, though, a book where we do not have control over the subjects that we have to talk about because we're submitting ourselves under the Word of God. And that's what going through a book is all about. And so it's been good to discipline ourselves to do that. And so uh, today is uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 17 to chapter 4. Mandy's going to come and read the passage for us. So if you don't have it in your Bible or don't have your Bible here, you will have it in your Bible. If you don't have your Bible here, then it will be up on the screen behind me. So um, thanks, Mandy. Off you go. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Excellent. Thank you, Mandy. Again, Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that your word will be life to us this morning by your spirit. We say we love you. We, we recognize there is gold in these words. And we want to be able to draw out some of that gold today that it might change us and transform us more and more into the image of your son. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to just start by asking you something today. The question I have for you is really quite simple. It is, where do you feel most at home? Where do you feel most at home? And uh, if you're anything like me, your answer will probably be at home. That's where I feel most at home. That's where I feel most easy, most at peace, because at home I'm, I'm totally relaxed to be who I am. Isn't that true? So when I get out of bed in the morning, I don't have to dress up into it in a suit first and then come downstairs. No, 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 I can roll out of bed in my PJs and walk around the house even as I am. I, I, I downdress at home. I can probably even wear less than my PJs sometimes and it's perfectly all right because the point is, it is my home. Don't imagine that, it'll put you off your lunch. Uh, but <laughs> the point is, it's my home. We don't care, we're at ease. And there's a certain favorite chair that I sit down on at home and I can put my feet up and I can relax because all of my stuff is around me. All right, there are my books in the bookshelf, and uh, there are my DVDs on the shelf, and uh, there's my food that I like in the kitchen. All right, it's my home. The TV is where I want it to be. The YouTube brings up the recommendations that I like. All right, so if you look at my YouTube, you'll probably come up with an All Blacks game here or there, and you may also come up with Great Canal Journeys in England. All right. 
which of course you'll have on your YouTube uh, recommendations as well. Great Canal Journeys of England. I like Great Canal Journeys of England, all right, because it's my home, and that's absolutely fine. You'll have different things, I'm sure. And the thing is, if you turn up at my home, I might say to you, hi, come on in, make yourself at home, and you can't, and you won't, because it's not your home. You can't take my DVDs off the shelf and put yours on. All right, you can't do that. Your home is different. And you see, if you think about it, our homes, really, they're the, they're the sum of all we are and what our parents were before us and our grandparents. It's true, isn't it? We're, 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 it's all part of a bigger whole behind us. And so your house will even smell different from my home. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Homes have a different smell. They just do. Not a necessarily good smell or a bad smell. It's different. All the many things that make up you are in that house, and that's why you feel most at home usually at home. Now, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but the same is true of countries, all right? Nations. Whatever country you were born and raised in will be your home country. Now, whether the, that country is good or bad is neither here nor there. It's not the point. It's your home still because it's where you were brought up. And so you know the customs and the culture and the food and the language and the way things are done. And I know this is true because I was born over here in Titahi Bay many years ago now, many moons. I was raised in this country. And then in my early 20s, I went off to the UK to live over there. And I lived over there for a very long time. And certainly when I first moved to England... It was very foreign to me, and I felt very homesick, all right? There were so many things that were odd to me when I arrived in England. I mean, for instance, they all had accents. I mean, I, I didn't have an accent, but suddenly they all had accents. And, uh, and they had odd food. Like they had odd fish and chips, it seemed to me at the time. They were kind of soggy fish and chips. They weren't real fish and chips, the, the, the biscuits they had were odd. They had jammy Dodgers instead of Shrewsbury's biscuits. They, they didn't have some of our chocolates. They didn't have chocolate fish. All right? They didn't have pineapple lumps or peanut slabs. I mean, how can a country survive without pineapple lumps and peanut... No wonder they've got Brexit problems. Uh, pineapple lumps and peanut slabs is important. And also, there were just so many people over there. There was an overwhelming number of people. In fact, even before I went to England, I was overwhelmed by the numbers. I mean, I can remember thinking before I went, how can a country smaller than this country fit 60 million people in it? And at the time I left for the UK, New Zealand had only, what, three and a half of a million people at the time. And I still remember talking to a friend during that time saying, oh, New Zealand, we're a bit overpopulated. We're a bit crowded over here. But of course, in the UK, I remember landing at Gatwick Airport thinking, well, where are they all then? I imagine them all to be shoulder to shoulder. And I used to think this, that the only green part in England was a paddock that they used when they wanted to watch, to, to do these historical f f films over there, you know, just bring it out to the same paddock every time. But of course, it's not true, is it? The reality is, that I grew to love the UK and that the English countryside is second to none. And I, I miss the English country. It's a beautiful place and it's a beautiful country. But it was strange. See, for many years, the UK just didn't feel quite like home to me or 
home in the same way as here. And I remember that because when we come back for holidays, we'd fly into Auckland Airport, and I remember thinking, ah, home at last. And you go to the customs terminal, and the lady would say, oh, look at your passport. Oh, welcome home. I go, oh, thank you, thank you. So good to be home. And it's true. Very powerful. Well, we need to understand that Paul is using this powerful image right here in this passage to get across some profound truths. All right? You see, his argument is that when we give our lives to Jesus, when we put our trust in him, something so deep and fundamental shifts within us that it's as if our country of origin changes. It's as profound as that. All because of this thing called the cross of Christ. So looking at this passage again, uh, what I want to highlight there. For I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. The cross of Christ. Something happens there at the cross so profound that when we believe in Jesus, we're catapulted from being enemies of the cross and earthbound to becoming citizens of heaven. It's like our whole orientation shifts. We're no longer of the earth. We are of heaven, so much so that our citizenship has shifted there all because of the cross of Christ. So, so what I want to do for a second, just to, just to ask really, what is it about the cross that so profoundly changes our lives like that? All right? So I just want to for a moment remind ourselves again, what actually happens at the cross that causes such a change? All right? So just want to mention a few things. The first thing to say is that Jesus takes our sins and the punishment for those sins on that cross. So uh, 1 Peter, this is the cross. So uh, 1 Peter 2 says this, He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree or the cross. Isaiah 53 also says he takes the punishment for those sins. In other words, when I put my trust in Jesus, when I give my life to him, when I, when I receive him as my saviour, it's amazing. My, my sins are placed upon him on that cross. Okay, now I know that sounds crazy because 2,000 years ago Jesus died on that cross and yet today if I put my trust in him, my sins are taken from me and the punishment of those sins and placed upon him way back then 2,000 years ago. So it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean there's a sense where, where his death on the cross takes place outside of time. And that's maybe what Hebrews 10 means when it says that Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. So in other words, it doesn't matter what century you're in, you're born into, when you put your trust in him, he carries your sins upon that cross. It's amazing. So that's that's the first obvious thing, right? But listen, in addition to that, and this is not so obvious, and we often forget this, when I put my trust in him, On that cross, yes, he takes my sins, but in a very real sense, he takes my sinful self upon that cross. My sinful self. Paul says in Romans 6, 6, our old self 
was crucified with him. In other words, not only did he take my sin, he also took that part of me that loves to sin and that's enslaved to sin with him on that cross. I mean, the Bible's clear. When we are born, we are born on the earth sinful. I mean, David says that in Psalm 51. In sin, my mother conceived me. And that's true. So when you appear on earth as a baby, you're born with an inbuilt leaning or orientation towards sin. And that's why, of course, you don't need to teach a child, a child how to behave in a, in a badly. They all know, don't they? They naturally know how to behave badly. You don't need to take them to school to teach them that. They just know. The first words they speak are, really the first two words are mum and dad, but the third and fourth words are no and mine. Isn't that true? My little granddaughter climbed into my car the other day in the back seat of the car. She looked at me with her beautiful big eyes and she said, Papa, mine. And I thought, no, the car is not yours, actually. She said, mine. And uh, no one needs to teach them to do that. Why? Because they are born with this sinful self, this ingrained leaning towards doing wrong. And they grow up with it and they become adults and that's why the world is such a mess. Bible actually says we are enslaved to sin. But, but when I put my trust in Jesus, something happens. That sinful self, that inbuilt mechanism, in a sense, is nailed to that cross. Our old self was crucified with Jesus. Or the whole quote goes like this. Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. In other words, when we put our trust in Jesus, our old self, our sinful inclination, our sinful drive also dies with Christ on that cross. And not only did it die, but it was replaced by something else. Actually, it was replaced by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. We have a new spirit within us. And so now we are alive to God. Now we love him. Now we actually desire to please God now. And this change is so profound that Paul describes it as a citizenship change. It's like before we, we trust in Jesus, we're, we're spiritually earthbound, immersed in this fallen creation. As Paul says earlier, he says, our, our end is destruction, our God is our stomachs, our minds are set on earthly things. But but when we put our trust in Jesus, our old self is gone and the new creation has come. Hallelujah. Our old orientation has shifted heavenwards and now heaven is our home country now. That's our home country. Does that make sense? And so in Galatians 6, Paul actually says this. He says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, he's saying, the world and I, we've parted company. The world has gone that way, and I'm now going this way. We've parted company. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to the Philippians. You are no longer earthbound. You're no longer at home in fallen creation. You're no longer enslaved to sin and misery and hopelessness. No, your native land has now changed, right? And now you are heaven-bound. As Christians, we are 
heaven bound. In fact, what Paul says earlier in chapter 3, he actually says, I, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, we are called upward now. We are drawn to where our home is, which is heaven. And you see, as Christians, right, this is so important that we understand how radical this change of citizenship really is. I have been crucified and the world has been crucified to me. I no longer belong in the world. I was thinking about it the other day and I came up with this picture earlier. I hope it helps. It's a bit like this. It's a bit like stepping onto a train. You know, the old-fashioned trains, we had to open the door and, and step in or step up. And you know what it's like when you leave the platform and you step up onto the train and you're in the train and the train begins to move forward and as you look out the window, you see the, the platform beginning to slide away behind you. And that's kind of what's going on here. It's as radical as that. And, and therefore, this change means something. We're, we're moving away from the world, and we're on a train being carried to glory. We've stepped up onto the train. It's as radical as that. And therefore, this change means something. It must affect us. It must affect us. In fact, it has a number of implications, and I just want to outline to you three. Three obvious implications to this change. All right? So, number one, it means this. It means that once you give your life to Jesus and your citizenship has changed, listen, you will never feel totally at home on earth again. All right? That's the truth. You won't. I guess what I, what, what I really mean by that is, is this. Whatever is going on in the world around you, in your family or in your job or wherever it is, good or bad, fun or sad, exciting or dull, there will always be a deep part of your heart now that is anchored somewhere else, that is anchored in heaven. And so whenever you come across something tragic, for instance, whether it's a, a death of a friend or a loved one or you just see something tragic on on TV, I don't know about you, but I find rising up within me a kind of a groan, really. And the groan kind of comes out and forms this kind of sentence. God, when will you bring this kind of thing to an end? When? And sometimes it can be overwhelming. I remember several years ago now, my sister, she, she grew sick and died. And uh, she was much younger, she was younger than I. And she so wanted to live. I remember Kath so wanted to live. And I just remember the day after day sadness that we felt as a family. Just every day she began to drift away and fade away. And then when she went, it was so sad. And I remember at one point crying out to God saying, God, when will you end this kind of thing? When will you wipe away every tear from our eyes? When will you bring an end to this? I was crying out to God, and I think this is what we mean, that God, you, I, I don't belong here. I want to be where there are no crying or pain. Very powerful. Or, or when you hear of something that's just outright evil, when, when terrible things are done to children, I don't know about you, but I find myself saying, God, please, end this kind of thing. End it. Can we get over that now? End this kind of thing. When is it going to end? Or, or even when you look at a beautiful scene sometimes, a landscape, a beautiful landscape. I don't know about you, but I often find myself thinking, oh God, is that what heaven's going to be like? Is that a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth right there? It's like we're always anchored beyond this life to somewhere else. And that's how it will be now. 
I'm often finding myself thinking about heaven. It's like there's something in us now that is anchored there. It's a wonderful thing, actually. And I love the last scriptures, the verses of the, of, 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 of the scriptures, the last book of the Bible, when Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. And the church responds with, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And as someone once said to me years ago, you'll never so be in love with the earth that there won't be that cry deep in your heart, oh, come, Lord Jesus. There is something in us that longs for his return. And so the reality is you don't quite belong to this world now. Even the ambitions and the dreams of the world around you will not satisfy you in the end. You cannot be satisfied with the ambitions of the world. I remember a lovely uh, a poet, Gerhard Tursig, and he once said this, For me, O Lord, the world is all too small, for I have seen thy face. And I think that is true. Nothing on earth will truly satisfy you now. It's too small compared to the face of Christ. Folks, we've tasted the love of God now. We've We've tasted his power. I think, Lord, I've tasted your mercy in my life. I've tasted your faithfulness. I've tasted something of your power. There is nothing on earth now that will satisfy me. Even the best the world has is small ambition compared to being a child of glory, a child of God. It's like the platform is moving away and I'm captivated by what's ahead. So that's the first thing this change of citizenship means. I will never find my satisfaction on the earth. So don't try. If you're a Christian, don't try. You won't ultimately find it there. Second thing it means is, is, um, is this. You will not be content or satisfied with sin. All right? You will not be content or satisfied with sin. It's like you are spoiled for sin now. Now, it doesn't mean that you won't sin, but when you do sin, you will not be happy sinning, all right? You will feel agitated, you will feel unhappy because the old self is gone and the Spirit of God is in you now and the Spirit of God has sharpened your conscience and now your conscience is very, very sensitive. And so when you do sin, you get very upset. Isn't that true? I mean, it's true, we feel it. We feel out of sorts, we're not happy. You know what it's like. And actually, if you persist in a lifestyle of sin, you will feel worse because you're living against the current of God's Spirit in you. God is drawing you heavenwards to glory, and yet you're mucking around with garbage over here. And so uh, that's why a, a backsliding Christian is the most miserable person on earth. Because the spirit of a holy, loving God is in them, drawing them heavenwards, yet they're messing around with garbage. And so, of course, they're not happy. Going back to the train picture, it's a bit like this. You step onto the train, and the train begins to move, but you've still got one foot on the platform. That's if you're still in, And you know that will not be comfortable for long. If you, try to, you could try it yourself, but I don't recommend it. The train is pulling away, and you're still here, caught up in sin. It will not be very comfortable. Listen, I want to just say, if you're far from God this morning, or you think, why am I even here this morning, and I don't know, I feel detached from God, I want to encourage you, pick up your foot and bring it into the train. Or as believers, we need to understand this, because sometimes, you know what, we sometimes do this actually, we try and persuade ourselves that it's okay to dabble in a little bit of sin here and there. Right? It's not so bad to drink a little bit too much. 
It's not so bad to click on the website over there. It's not that bad really to watch that kind of film. It's not really that bad to lie a little bit or exaggerate a little bit over here. And we sometimes try and twist the scriptures even to support us. We say, well, you know, God, he's taken our sins and he loves me and he understands me. And anyway, we're all under grace. We sometimes think, but I want to just say to you, that won't work either. You will be even more miserable. Because now it's a bit like this. You're on the train, and you're on the carriage, and now you're dragging a leg behind you. And the train is moving away, and you're dragging something of the world along with you. And I wouldn't recommend you do that either, uh, because you'll find it very, very uncomfortable. You'll be miserable still. In the end, you'll find it miserable and unsatisfying to drag the world behind. True grace is this. True grace is pulling your leg up and saying, Thank you, Jesus, that I'm on this train. Thank you, God, that you are taking me forward to glory. Thank you, God, that I'm here with you and I don't need to be a part of that anymore. Wonderful. I just want to take a moment with you for a second. Where do you stand in this? Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Are you living as a prince or as a pauper? Are you on the train going for glory or are you half off the train, messing around with garbage. We need to ask ourselves that. Are you dragging something behind you? Maybe it's a habit, maybe it's sin, maybe it's a wrong relationship, maybe it's a lust, maybe it's a pride, a laziness, a fear. Listen, if you won't let it go, you condemn yourself to a life of frustration and missed opportunities in God and a life of mediocrity in Christ. That's the alternative. And I don't want that. And this brings me to the third and final thing this change of citizenship means. This is a short one, but it's a biggie. Number, number three, knowing I'm on this train, knowing that God has laid hold of me for glory, I will decide to live like that. I will put my thinking and my heart where my citizenship is. So Colossians 3 is a famous one. Paul says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, your old self died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, knowing my citizenship has changed, knowing my old sinful self has died, knowing the world has been crucified to me, knowing that I'm on my way to glory, I'll put my mind and heart there now. That's what it means. And for many of us, if you drill right down, it means practically comes down to little choices that we make every day. A little less TV, a little less Facebook a little less YouTube, a little less internet, a little less of the wrong company, a little less of the wrong materials. More of God, more worship, really more of the Holy Spirit, remembering that the Holy Spirit is described by Paul in Ephesians as a down payment or a foretaste of that which is to come. 
In other words, the more of the Spirit we receive through worship and praise, through prayer and the Word, the more we taste of heaven. The more our hearts and minds are fixed on Jesus, the more we are laying hold of glory, the more we are laying hold of home. The more we are laying hold of home. Guys, this is what the cross of Christ has done for you. It has changed your citizenship. Heaven is now your home, and you're on the train moving there. And in fact, you can taste and enjoy it now. Sin won't satisfy you. Compromise will only frustrate you. Resolve this morning. Let it go. I just feel God would say that to you this morning. Resolve this morning. Let it go. Your foot is dragging. Let it go. Sometimes our, our hand is on the platform still with bags, baggage. And some, you know what it's like when baggage won't fit through the door? Sometimes we're holding on to stuff that really we should have let go a long time ago. And you know it. Let it go. Come in and settle in for the amazing journey of your life. I believe God would encourage us with that this morning. Let's stand, shall we? Can we just stand?